0: You're listening to Trek FM. Hi, welcome to Commentary Trek Stars, T-R-E-K. Write it down. Uh, where we talk about Star Trek people, that i.e. writers, producers, and creators, and their work outside of Star Trek. Because if we talked about Star Trek all the time, we'd be in high school. Uh, this is going to be part one of our sequence of episodes, our Nicholas Meyer arc. Specifically, Nicholas Meyer as an author. As an author of books. That's things on paper. Uh... I suppose you could have them on iPads and whatnot nowadays.
1: I'm Mike. I'm Max. And, and today we are going to kick this off with an introduction to Nicholas Meyer uh, by looking at his work in Star Trek. Re- really only uh, three things. But, yes. But they are three amazing things. Two amazing things and one really good thing. Okay, well, let's, let's jump into the first thing. Let's jump into that first thing. Nicholas Meyer. I think we should start with Harv Bennett. Okay, Harv Bennett. What do, you, what do you want to talk about Harv Bennett?
0: Harv Bennett opened the door for Nicholas Meyer.
1: Harv Bennett did open the door for Nicholas Meyer. Harv Bennett was brought in as producer of uh, the Star Trek uh, movie series after Star Trek The Motion Picture failed to... Um, Be a w- movie. Yeah, wow audiences in the way that some had hoped. I think he, it wowed Star Trek fans. Okay, but the problem
0: was that there were not enough of those. Right, which they should have been well aware of because of the whole it being canceled thing.
1: Yeah. Now you you just read uh, the the Nicholas Meyer memoir. Yeah. A view to the bridge. Well, view just like of, two weeks from ago. The bridge. View <laughs> from the bridge. So it'll be fresh in your mind. But am I, am I right in thinking? Correct me if I'm wrong. Am I right in thinking that basically Meyer, who was a novelist to begin with, um he he had made time after time and was trying to you know get his foot a little bit further into the door of filmmaking and ha- having a good relationship you know with someone at paramount or what mm-hmm. have you they suggested that he try to uh take a shot at star trek 2 yeah yeah for the most part and and the problem was that there were a lot of ideas for Star Trek 2 which um uh worked as ideas but not as a full movie and Nicholas Meyer volunteered essentially to yeah. take those ideas and fuse them into one screenplay which is Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Khan yeah uncredited but uh Based on that, that the the strength of that screenplay, he not only did the movie get made, but it got made by him. He directed it.
0: Mm-hmm. There, there, there was some interesting sort of you know like mechanics behind behind this that, uh, that the book doesn't really go into because there, you know, it, it's always sort of we know un, we have an understanding that behind the scenes of, of you know credits and producerial credits and. Uh, a given person being selected to do a movie. There's a whole bunch of stuff yeah. that that doesn't come to light, and 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 the book sort of it it sort of skims around issues that we've heard more about outside of it, and I imagine that's probably just because Nicholas Meyer was probably not present for a lot of those um, wheelings and dealings and political assassinations.
1: But you know, whatever the reasons may be, the end result was Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Um, first off. For those who don't know, what are your thoughts on Star Trek: II The Wrath of Khan? It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. It's kind of good. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, it's um, it's probably the most succinct representation of everything Roddenberry was trying to do.
1: I can see that in a certain way.
0: And it kind of, it, it's it's pretty much a, it's it's basically a perfect primer on, on like the the general sort of Star Trek world, and by world I mean universe or whatever. Uh, continuity and uh, it does sort of resolve a lot of basic sort of storytelling problems that the series had and it introduces a lot of really amazing ideas and I think that a lot of the the brilliance behind Star Trek II, uh, was in the crazy ideas that Meyer had to make sense of mm-hmm. and Meyer, Meyer's sort of um, mutant power was to see the merit of ideas and not be blinded by the requirements of those ideas and like you know the genesis device and khan nuni and Singh and you know kirk growing old these are weird sort of loaded things and meyer was able to you know essentially you know like a wizard just see that they were all consistent if you looked at them a certain way which is which is really a brilliant thing the idea that he was able to see these story elements and not be screwed up by the requirements of those stories
1: well, I mean, I think that that uh, the fact that Star Trek Two was made by a bunch of non-Star Trek people really helped to uh, to sort of um, give the franchise uh, a different perspective, which allowed them to sort of look at what it actually is. You know, I mean, when when you have like such a, a myopic point of view for the span of fifteen years or something like that, you have a tendency to uh, you know, lose sight of what it is that you are actually are trying to do. And when someone else comes in and says, wait, 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 I just watched these episodes. I know what you're trying to do. And you're, you, you you can't see the forest through the trees right now. You know, let me take a stab at it and, and try to uh, make it into something that, that you are trying to make it into. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's what. That's the that's the that's the mechanism that the most things
0: try to use to stay in touch with the core. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you know it, it it's part of why you know franchises on a regular basis do that kind of thing, and it's why studios have actually sort of incorporated the idea of fresh eyes yeah. into almost everything to the point of absurdity. To the point where, like, you know, screenwriters are hired on a regular basis to replace a previous one in order to have fresh eyes on the project.
1: Well, that, that's that's a problem, you know, usually more. I think that the, the fresh eyes should come in more along the lines of what Pixar does. You know where you have like you know their think tank or whatever they call it.
0: Yeah, the the problem is the fresh eyes concept is is sort of fundamentally flawed. I mean, it's got merits well, to it, but it's not uh, like it's not a it's not a tool that you can use uh, infinitely. I mean, it's a well, resource, no. and the fact is, like once you use it two or three times, it doesn't have any power anymore.
1: Well, it's it's a resource, like you're saying. I mean, yeah. they they shouldn't hire someone else to come in with fresh eyes to completely. You know, redo everything. But if you have someone come in and say, "Hey, I think I see what you're trying to do, and maybe you should do it this way," then you'd be like, "Oh yeah, okay. Now I I see the where the problem lies, and I can. I mean, like this is why the prequels are what they are. You know, there were no." Fresh eyes, no checks and balances. You know, I mean, you see that, answer, that kind of the, thing. The
0: prequels. The, the, well, the problem with the prequels is it's not going to be solved with fresh eyes. It's it's let's it's, use fresh, let's use fresh eyes more. And, uh, <laughs> I, this is this is a term I want to stick around for another twenty years.
1: <laughs> okay, so yeah, Star Trek Two. You know, to me, it, it's it's a very amazing movie. I mean, to me, it like it did exactly what it set out to do. For me personally, like it got me interested it got me hooked on star trek after seeing the motion picture and being like this is crap you know i mean like i I think i talked about it uh, you know earlier in our the start of our roddenberry thing but you know watched the motion picture first star trek i ever saw really didn't like it at all was persuaded to watch star trek 2 by my friend matt and fell in love with the entire franchise, and here we are today talking about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, we talked about this on the commentary for the motion picture, Yeah, but I I, I grew up with Star Trek as part of my life. It was in, my, apparently, uh, like, I recently learned that I was, that my timeline from my, my very early childhood is wrong, that I was actually in, uh, I was actually taken out of the country when I was six months old, and somehow I already knew what Star Trek was by that point. So I don't know how that's possible, but somehow it's true. And, and, like, by the time I saw the motion picture, I was, you know, like, six years old or something. I might have been five. I don't know. But I, I, I loved that thing. And I didn't have any questions about its dramatic power. I just loved it. Just loved it. And when I saw Star Trek II, freaked me out. Because it was violent. People died. It's dark.
1: Well, that's true. I, I actually remember as a little kid being over at, at Benny's house and um his sister i think was watching star trek 2 on hbo
0: and then and then you watched robocop
1: yeah and then i watched robocop i was <laughs> like oh my god no no that was a few years later but i okay. remember seeing star trek 2 on the screen and being like ooh it's space stuff and mm-hmm. there's star in it that must mean it's like star wars and then seeing you know con and it, it just i don't i don't i don't think i saw the part with the uh you know the worm the worm but uh I, it was certainly something which I was aware of. The last indigenous species species of Seltie Alpha 5? Yeah. And, and I, uh, you know, that that was another thing, you know, like, I, I it, that had been built up so much that, like, I was like, I'm a little scared. Like, yeah. we're talking to Matt, you know, and this is, I mean, just so everyone knows, I was 12 years old when this yeah. happened. And I'm like, I'm a little scared of, uh, you know, the thing with the thing. I don't know if I want to see that, you know, maybe I'll close my eyes and you tell me when it's over with, whatever. Oh, yeah. You know, which I think I did because it is kind of freaky. But what what can you do? See, the word never freaked me out. Whatever, freaked me, like what freaked me out was sort of like the the
0: the the, the horror of, of of Khan's anger. Oh yeah, he was just so apocalyptically mad. It was like it was just like watching that guy. It was like, are people really like this? My 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 horror as a child was always the result of like, oh my god, that guy's psycho.
1: I am afraid of people like that. Did you think he was like a? a a one-man weapon of mass destruction who can detonate the fleet and all it stands for? Um, Maybe devastate the fleet? Not detonate. But detonate the fleet? (laughs) That's not even a sentence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Khan is is really... And and that's the one thing which, you know, whenever I, I think about it, I almost wish it wasn't Khan because then you have it tied to Space Seed. and. Like one thing that I, I remember hearing, you know, back uh, when I was in high school working at a comic book store, I was talking to one of the guys who works there, and he was like, um, "In high school at a comic book store talking you know, about Star Trek, <laughs> those are some badass virgins." <laughs> and 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 uh, this guy um, Shirley, that's not his real name. Oh my god! <laughs> Don't call him Shirley. <laughs> He, he had a really interesting point, you know, which was basically like to put in he put it in comic book terms. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan is sort of like Star Trek number zero. You know, it is a perfect introductory issue to Star Trek. You know, mm-hmm. it, it tells you who all the characters are, what their relationships are. It sets up the entire world. It's a good example of what Star Trek is. You know, on sort of like a quintessential level, but also at its best. You know, it is like the perfect thing to show someone and say, you want to know what Star Trek is? This is Star Trek.
0: That's what I just said.
1: Right. But, and and I always thought that that that, that made a lot of sense. The one thing which bothers me is the fact that there is this history Mm -hmm. with Khan, you know? Oh, but that's actually
0: the perfect thing.
1: Okay. Explain to me why um, history. hmm.
0: Now you have always approached things in a certain way. And I often approach things from the same perspective, but I have at times realized that there is something very important about not having access to everything. And, and the idea that, that, that Star Trek to the wrath of Khan uh, has a history, a history that actually exists. You can you know, watch the episodes and, and see how it occurred. That is actually very important. Because as a series, Star Trek has been going for a very, very, very long time. And you can say, hey, they're restarting the franchise. But at the same time, they're also not. They're also continuing the franchise. And I don't think that you would say to somebody, hey, have you seen Star Trek 09? Oh, you should have watched the past 40 years no. before seeing that. No. Right, because in a sense, ideally, we should be able to join in at any time.
1: Yeah, it, and that's a good jumping-on point.
0: Right, I mean, there are lots of good jumping-on points. <laughs> I mean, my feeling is that, that like, one of my favorite things is to, is to jump onto something that I, I don't really know and then get excited about it. And, and a long time ago, I realized that I can take a boring book... And make it much more interesting to me by skipping the first three pages.
1: Yeah. You've said that you never read read the first three pages.
0: Well no, I know I never start with the
1: first three pages. Okay.
0: Like if if I'm if I'm not anticipating liking a book, I skip the first three pages and just start from there. If I really like the book, I'll just start and just get all the way through and there's no problem. But the like it's it's sort of about, you know, making a, a challenge for me that is different. Because if I'm sitting there reading it like a like the normal book, I'm I'm bored. But if I make a, a problem, I have some, some information that's lost, then I'm, using, then I'm playing with the, the material as I go through it. And that's an important thing for watching any sort of thing that's been around for longer than you. And Star Trek's been around for a lot longer than any of us and longer than most of the people I know who are aware of Star Trek. Yeah. I know like three Star Trek fans who were around when Star Trek began. And the idea that there should be a history, some of which is not accessible, I think is important. I think that's a good thing Yeah, that I there's can see a history that. that could be lost. So the idea that the quintessential Star Trek would include references to a history that is not seen, that's perfect.
1: Okay, I guess I can kind of see that. I guess the completest in me, you know... Wants to to have it all, you know, work. But then again,
0: and and I have pointed out that as human beings, we have the ability of discretion, which means that we don't have to be completists because the idea of completion is insane. We can never completely understand everything.
1: Well, maybe, yeah. But then again, you know, like I, I did. That was the the second Star Trek thing that I saw, and I wasn't lost. I mean, I knew that Khan was on an episode prior, mm-hmm. but it'd been you know probably about a year until I actually seen Space Seed, and you know. You don't really have to watch it to understand what's going on. Well, um, after Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and the success of that, you know, uh, Nicholas Meyer was offered uh, the chance to direct Star Trek three, and he turned it down.
0: That's a very good move for Nicholas Meyer, a very bad move for Star Trek in general, because that was the beginning of the end of quality.
1: Okay. Well, the, the, his reason for turning it down was that he couldn't be associated with a story involving resurrection mm-hmm. he didn't believe in it he thought it was cheap
0: and, and I would like to point something out here
1: okay um,
0: this is a guy who, who made Star Trek 2 he made a bunch of money on it and they said we're going to bring Spock back and he said I don't want to be involved this is not a guy who made a decision arbitrarily this is a guy who had a very significant problem with this story Mm-hmm. He was opposed to this story. He said, I don't want to be involved in that. I don't want my name attached to something like that. Yeah. That's a very big deal. I mean, like, like it's not really talked about, but there, it's, to me it seems very clear that Nicholas Meyer said, that is unbelievably stupid. I want nothing to do with it.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, that's exactly what he said. No, but, like,
0: in a very angry tone, possibly with a lot of swearing.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, like, even, even the last uh, shot of the movie where you see Spock's burial tube on the surface. Yeah. He said that, you know, that was something which was added after the fact. I, I think that he has always been, and it's in the book, he's very polite about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay? I don't think that he was polite to the people involved.
1: Y- yeah. I mean, he, he wasn't polite about it back then. He, yes. was, he was so unpolite that when they said, do this, he was like, no, you're going to have to do it yourselves.
0: Right. And I'd like to point out that he was completely right. Their desire to do Star Trek Three was fundamentally wrong. And on Roddenberry esque, and then to compound those problems of, of you know denying the sacrifice of the previous film, denying the basic st- dramatic structure of the previous movie, and and you know essentially the like you know the, this is this is the prototype for killing Newton Hicks, invalidating the movie that just came before you. Star Trek Three then proceeds to eliminate the, the 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 statement behind the Genesis device. These are all very humongous things. And Nicholas Meyer not being involved with Star Trek Three is possibly what allowed people who shouldn't have been involved in the creative process of a Star Trek story to begin with to screw things up. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that could be. And, and I'm, I am not entirely sure, certain where I fall on the issue of, like, should Nicholas Meyer have remained involved? Because the fact is that Spock's resurrection is fairly insignificant compared to the Genesis device thing
1: yeah well th- that's that's what he seemed to to have the biggest problem with was Spock 's resurrection, and he said that he he could come back after um, Spock was resurrected, he just couldn't be involved with that story itself, and he did come back immediately after Spock was resurrected. He was a writer on Star Trek for the Voyage Home
0: which is somehow still not entirely
1: known. Yes, I just had a debate about this on Twitter last night with David Mack, yeah. who is a Star Trek writer himself, yeah, and he, he didn't was talking about he was talking about like time after time. Yeah, and I was like, oh man, it's amazing. I saw, th-
0: I, saw that and I was like, I was like, really? He doesn't know that those are similar things.
1: Yeah, I mean, like he was like, well, what's the? I don't see any similarities. Oh well, you know, I mean, they, into- do, like, they do, they do, they start around forty five like, minutes in, or uh, you know, he said so the plot seems to be, you know, different. I don't see any similarities in the plot and i'm like well it's true the tone he, he goes in a different direction the tone the gags you know i'm like and it's been a while since i've seen time after time so i couldn't cite specific examples but i remember watching time after time and well, going that's, like there's the antique shop oh my god the antique shop okay yeah that's what 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 i kind of thought you know um the
0: antique shop scene is super weird because it's it's basically the same scene okay yeah and and I like that's to,
1: I'll have to I'll have to watch it again and yeah and, I don't, like and the the, a, the
0: important thing here is that if you don't see a tonal connection between time after time and well, Star Trek four
1: he he was like well tone it seems he's like it seems weird to criticize a, a a writer for having similar tone who's
0: criticizing
1: that's what I said I'm not criticizing you know I, I like both movies quite a bit I if just thought it was really weird that he did like the same thing twice
0: right but I mean if you're if you if your story involves going going through time traveling to what is
1: now? Yeah. That's going to be funny. Especially now San Francisco. You know, it was even the same Well, where else city. are you going to go? Uh, Meyer, <laughs> I, I read last night, was actually worried about the similarities. And he almost turned yes. down the job. And then when he decided to take the job, he asked them to change the city in Star Trek IV to Paris. So, yeah, uh, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, he didn't direct but he wrote specifically he wrote the 1986 sequences
0: right but i mean he wrote them in the sense that you know he he crossed out the names from the time after time script and then and then had it uh, FedExed over to the people making star trek 4
1: Okay, yeah, but but regardless, you know, it, it's very
0: similar scenes. <laughs> it's
1: it, it's interesting, you know, like because if you look at that movie, there, there is a lot of stuff in the twenty third century, um, a lot more than I, I had than, than you think about. Star Trek Four, yeah, but the the stuff inside the, I mean, you can almost see how you could get Harve Bennett, I think it was, to write the bookend scenes and have Nicholas Meyer himself write. The stuff in you know 86 because it does have its own little internal arc during that time period
0: which is sort of a problem maybe i, I mean like ultimately the, the the big dramatic problem with star trek 4 is that nobody remembers the drama
1: <laughs> yeah and, I, I and just remember the little funny yeah, bits
0: yeah and i think that's because they were written by different people maybe. like the, the, the future sequences are like Earth is in a lot of peril. We're all going to die. What time is it? It's like 4.30. We'll be dead by 5. Just FYI, Kirk. We're all going to be dead within half an hour. And Kirk's like, I know. Let's go back in time to San Francisco and get some whales so that we can save them from being killed in the next 25 minutes. And then they get there, and they're like, well, now that we're back in time, we got plenty of time. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got a time machine. We've got a spaceship, which begs the question, why didn't we just do this a lot more leisurely? Why didn't we just. Why, why don't we do this all the time? If, but if This really begs a lot of questions, Spock. Spock, run some numbers for me. How come we don't time travel all the time?
1: Well, they talk about how it's hard to do. <laughs> it's stupid. <laughs> okay.
0: Go, go counterclockwise around the sun. You're back in time. Go clockwise. You're going forward in time.
1: <laughs> don't okay. get me started on clocks, you guys. After writing Star Trek IV, uh, they After brought. Writing. After writing quotation marks. Star Trek Four, after doing a uh, find and search, replace, yeah, find and replace <laughs> on Star Trek Four, he uh, was brought back again on Star Trek Six. This time to direct and write and write, yeah. Um, and I know that there's a bit of you know crazy history with that. You know, them hiring other writers and. You know, knowing that they need to get him on and knowing that they might need to offer him a directing job in order to do so and all that other stuff. Um, it, it actually seems very similar to the process which which they went through on Star Trek 2. They were under yeah. the very strict time constraints because they needed to get it out for the 25th anniversary and all this other stuff. And um, Well, I mean, there's a thing in Hollywood, it's sort of an interesting paradigm that they
0: seem to have going on there all the time, they bring a, people come in and do things and change things and people get paid to do various projects, and I mean, like, how many movies have never been made that have been in production for like a decade? Well, sure, it happens all the time, and it seems that it seems that Star Trek has suffered from some of those you know production problems because it's not exactly the same thing as Star Wars, where you know one guy is sort of pulling the trigger and making these things happen. Roddenberry did sort of share responsibility with Paramount, which meant that. On occasion, Paramount would go crazy. Pay hey, one guy, that guy comes in, changes a bunch of things, and then that guy says, like, I don't know what to do about this thing, and they bring in two people, and those people hire three more people, and then those three more people hire one guy. And then eventually, everybody just goes, like, all right, all right, all right, all right, let's just call Nicholas Meyer, he'll make a movie out of this.
1: What do you think about Star Trek Six in general?
0: Oh, for a long time, it was my favorite of the movies. And... Uh, I had to I, you know coming to terms with the idea that Star Trek Two was better was actually sort of an emotional process because i had to uh, i had to face up to the idea that I was liking Star Trek Six for purely fan reasons and and that i wasn't wasn't open to the idea that Star Trek Two was better on film reasons mm-hmm. but um Star Trek Six is fantastic it's the movie that I point to when when people say... Star Trek is really good about doing social commentary. And I say, Star Trek is really good about doing social commentary, but in the way that science fiction is good about it. And that it might be about things that are happening now, but it doesn't have to be burdened by those realities. Star Trek Six is not an allegory for the fall of the, the, the Soviet Union. it's a, It's a movie that uses that as inspiration to talk about collapse in general about about transitional phases between cultures it's a difficult you know mechanism and you know you can't look at it purely like a like a clock these are big systems interacting yeah. it's brilliantly executed for that kind of thing yeah and you know
1: dramatically
0: speaking it's
1: got some problems not that many i mean there's certainly movies which have more problems than oh
0: that. no yeah no no question i mean i, no I think it's I think still great of, it's just yeah. not as good as two
1: uh, I I don't know. I think it actually is better than than two. I think aside from uh, the J J Abrams movie, it's it's my favorite. In addition to everything that you said, it also feels like a great finale for the original series. You know, which is something that it never had. You know, back when it was a TV show or anything like that. I mean, Star Trek Two, I guess, could have worked that way as well. But Star Trek Six, I think, is is a really good final episode in a sense you know and, and and i really appreciate it for that i also think that um, you also
0: like the way that they fly into the sun
1: <laughs> yeah i i also think that um the uh the the, the just production value on, on star trek 6 is extremely high caliber i like the fact that it wasn't trying to be a star trek movie so much as just being a good movie um i i really love the the music star trek 6 is star trek photography. Six is incredibly well done yeah it's just
0: it's not perfect.
1: It, well, I mean, what is two? So that's that's Myers' uh, entire history in Star, Star Trek. Two Trek and just, Die Hard. Those two movies, <laughs> you know. Those two movies are perfect. Those okay, but but, but I mean, he he only made those three movies in Star Trek. To, you know, two, four, and six. Yeah. I mean, he is in essence responsible for the even numbered rule, right?
0: You could say that he is he he is the actual distinction between the odd and the even movies. Yeah, and you could say that because there's a correlation, there's a causation, but that ain't scientific. The causal relationship is clear that that Nicholas Meyer, my, Nicholas Meyer's involvement makes movies better, but Nicholas Meyer's involvement is not necessarily limited to even numbered
1: movies. <laughs> that could be um, <laughs> i think
0: it's entirely possible that somebody could hire nicholas meyer to make a movie that was an odd numbered one in a series
1: it, that you know we we may never know that but i mean that's 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 quite possible i think
0: that it should be somebody should try it somebody try to get nicholas meyer involved in something that's an odd numbered film we should we should hire him for the next <coughs> star trek movie
1: okay all right
0: after after into darkness when 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 they do the search for Spock, but again, kind of in a way, sort of, you guys in parentheses. All that's in parentheses. We should get him in on that. Where it's not a resurrection; it's just a really long behind-the-scenes process where they recast Spock.
1: Okay, all right. Um... That's a fantastic idea. I
0: want to see that. The feature film about casting Zachary Quinto, The Search for Spock.
1: Hey, you know, hey. Someone could do it. They need- if
0: anybody could do it,
1: it's Nicholas Meyer. Nicholas Meyer. <laughs> that guy knows how to make a good Star Trek movie. Yeah, you're right, you're right. I'd watch it. I'd watch it twice.
0: Kirk and Bones get transported into the real world, and they have to, they have to make Star Trek in order to go back into that universe?
1: hmm They go into an antique shop.
0: Yeah. They see like, Leonard Nimoy. how much can I get for these original Star Trek props? <laughs> and then the guy's like, whoa, not much here, because I'm not a nerd, but I know a guy. And then, yeah, this is a solid plot for a movie. All right, I'm going to get on that.
1: So a- any final thoughts on Nicholas Meyer as a Star Trek uh, writer-director?
0: As a Star Trek writer-director, we all know we love this guy's work. We we want to see him do more things. And it's unfortunate that he's, you know, a single human being, that he has uh, corp- corporeal limitations, that he can only be in one place at one time, and that, you know, he has a lifespan. I think that we should get on this whole cloning thing. Mm-hmm. You know, get, get just start making another one of him because when, when he does, we might not have anyone left that knows how to make a good, smart Star Trek movie.
1: Well, I don't think that that's true. But, uh, you know, certainly he is um, up there as far as Star Trek movie creators are concerned, as far as Star Trek creators are concerned. And uh, we're going to be looking at his um, novels. We are doing Target Practice. The 7% Solution, The West End Horror, Black Orchid, Confessions of a Homing Pigeon, and The Canary Trainer. He likes birds. So we are going to be looking forward to that. Next week, we've got uh, Target Practice, his first book. After that one, it's going to get good. Okay. Because that one is not super good. I'm, I'm looking forward to Target Practice. Haven't read it yet. I'm looking forward to it. And we, we've got some, some really cool guests lined up, and I'm not going to say who, just in case anything falls through, but, we, yeah, we've got some people, some, some experts in various fields, some, some literary uh, uh, fans and, and what have you, and, and I think that, uh, that, that that this will be a, a good little series. And then we'll take a, a break from Good little series. It. Good little series. Don't
0: say a good little series. Okay. Say, this is going to be a great... Awesome, magnificent, humongous,
1: engorged, thick, long series. And uh, then then we'll take a break, do a couple of other things, and later on we will come back and look at Nicholas Meyer's uh, movies. So that's the plan. Um, as always... You can find us at our other show on CommentaryTrackStars.com It's called Commentary Trackstars. You can find audio commentaries for Star Trek's 2, 4, and 6 on there if you want to hear what we have to think about Nicholas Meyer's work on Star Trek in depth and uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at ComTrackStars or email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com So uh So many things So many things <laughs> Um, so there you go thanks for listening and we will be back next time with target practice
0: target practice